to Texans Unfiltered. And here we go, here we go! A Houston football podcast for your Houston Texans. Welcome to Texans Unfiltered, a Houston football podcast for your Houston Texans. I am Young Ari Gold, and I am here on vacation, canceled, pushed, canceled, now I'm here, whatever, we're here. We're here to talk about Bill O'Brien giving up play calling. Whoa, everybody is so shocked. Uh, you know, Bill O'Brien had his press conference at the Combine. He said a lot. He actually dropped a lot of interesting nuggets today. It was an 18-minute 18 uh, press conference. Uh, lots of interesting facts there. But I think the most important one is the one that everybody was hoping for and is the one that we ended up getting, which was, Tim Kelly will be calling plays for the 2020 Houston Texans offense. And, yeah, I mean, I don't know. That's a, that's what we wanted, right? Isn't that what we wanted? That's, that's what everybody else wanted. I, didn't, I mean, I, I, you know, I don't know. I'm, I'm good with it. I'm good with that. I'm good with, I'm good with whatever. Um, I mean, yeah, it's nice. It's definitely nice to know that there is going to be um, somebody different handling a very important aspect of the offense. And I think, you know, a lot of people, I had a lot of... And Cody's here. To to cancel. Hi, Cody. Hey, Hey, y'all. I didn't realize, I thought I was going to be an emergency uh, guest. You are, but you took so long, James found a corner. Okay, well, might be. No, you're still here. You were the uh, emergency guest, and then I was the emergency emergency guest. (laughs) Well, I can can help in a really bad way. We've got to have a show. I mean, we've got to have a show. Tell everybody, so now we've got to have something. So we're (laughs) we're going to go. Welcome, Welcome, Cody. Introduce yourself. Uh, Hey, y'all, I'm Cody. Um... I guess if we're all going by tags, I'm Sputnik, Sputbutt, a.k.a. Yeah, whatever, all those. I made the website. I've been on here before. Uh, and you all probably all heard me crack a beer. So um, like you get you get flagged for vaping, I'll probably get flagged for drinking a beer. Yeah, I don't get flagged for vaping anymore. So uh, there's that. But, uh, no, uh, Cody built an amazing website. So And obviously Cody is a part of the Texans Unfiltered uh, family. So it's always nice to have uh, somebody that can help us. So, um, how am I coming through with you guys? Is there an echo at all or anything? No, you're coming through good. Okay, cool. I'm just up against the corner in my parents' house, so I didn't know if it was just like I'm hearing the echo in my head. So I'm hoping that it's just not coming through here uh, with my AirPods. But, uh, dude, no, I wasn't kidding. Uh, you really found yourself a corner. No, dude, I'm in. I'm in my. I'm in my parents. I'm in my parents' 1972 uh, guest room with like blue lights. My laundry all over the ground, uh, you know, wood wood beams on the top ceiling. Like, I, I mean, I, this is the California vintage home. Like, this is, and I'm in a, I'm, I'm literally in a freaking corner. Like, that that's me. So, um, but yeah, no, Cody, I'm glad you were able to come on. I think it's cool. I I think you coming on, you know, reg, uh, randomly is always actually a good thing. I, I like your insight. You're one of the more intelligent Texans fans that we have. Um, I, you know, you're very. Oh, what's the word? We said this word a lot. I forgot what it was. Oh, positive. That's right. You're very positive. Uh, and uh, I think if we had beat the if we had beat the Chiefs, you would have gotten the shirt. Oh, uh, I mean, if we had beat the Chiefs, I might have died at Twin Peaks. Yeah, uh, that's true. Wanna... But it was the uh, positive vibes only. We were sitting there. We were we were we were brainstorming. Um, we had a we had a line going. Like we had an actual like a whole line of shirts that were going to get rolled out. Like the Bill O'Brien, go fuck yourself, or you you suck, you fucking suck too. Um, the uh, positive vibes only, trust. only good things and happen. We, like we had and Duke, we trust. Yeah, we had some good ones. I mean, we can still do positive vibes only shirt. I'm down with that. I can put your face on it with like, uh, with like a thumbs up next to it, like this, like positive vibes only, and then just yeah, yeah, exactly, corny there. but funny. Uh, at the same time, I think it's always good. Uh, all right, so uh, we were getting into, we were talking about the press conference. I don't even need to ask you because I already know that you listened to it. So um, so we were, get, we were talking about the play calling uh, being given up to Tim Kelly. 
uh, it's it's what people were um, were asking for. They were clamoring for it. Uh, I, I deactivated Twitter until about an hour ago when I logged in to cancel the show, and then and my five minutes on Twitter, I was able to scroll through just a little bit and see that uh, everybody expects them to not give up play calling. That they expect them to uh, have play uh, to Bill O'Brien to play, call plays the rest of the season. That's another. He, uh, you're lagging a little bit for me, at least. Frozen. Yeah, James, you froze. Oh. Are you just messing with us again, or did you actually freeze? I think he actually froze. It's some commitment if he's just messing with us. Um, okay, he's going through Twitter. Uh, I'm guessing he's going to talk about people complaining about the move. Uh, yeah, it looks like he's restarting. Yeah, he's good. Um, that's just kind of a common thing I always see that, I mean, people are, are. Am I allowed to cuss on this? I can't remember. Yeah, you can cuss again. We're we're back to cussing. Cool. This is why it's cussing. But like, people just like to bitch. Um, they just do, and they'll find something to bitch about regardless. I was watching the live stream on Twitter, and like, some dude was like, "I can't fucking watch this shit no more." And it was like Bob talking about um, how Chris Olsen, like, he had nothing to do with Chris Olsen being fired. He's like, what? What do you mean you can't watch this no more? There's like, it's just, he didn't do anything. <laughs> no, no. I'm also. Go on, sorry. No, no, you're right. That's exactly how Twitter is. No matter what they do, there's somebody out there that's going to complain. I, I mean, you got to remember, Twitter puts everybody on on an even playing field. It doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter what's going on. You're just there with everybody else. Um, you could be, I don't know, you could be famous. And you could have your little blue check mark, but other than that, you just your voice is just as loud as everybody else's on Twitter, and which leads to a lot more negativity. Negativity, also because it's Twitter, you can't, you cannot get tone. It's like sending text messages through. So some people are probably just being shitheads. Some people are being serious. Some people are just, you know, literally being trolls to just be annoying. But I mean, when you when you look at it, the Bill O'Brien giving up play calling for the second time in his his career. The other time he did it was the, his second year here when Goddard. he gave it over to Godsey. And it's interesting because it's the exact same um, job description that he's given given to Tim Kelly. Tim is going to take over quarterbacks, which is surprising. Carl Smith is is. Moving up to the offensive advisor role, I guess it's very similar to what he had in Seattle. And Tim Kelly apparently is getting full control of the offense. Well, here's the part that I think people are leaving out as well is the fact that while he is taking over the quarterback room, he is also already the offensive coordinator. So people are, I see a lot of people already talking about how now he's the quarterbacks, this is the same situation. It's a completely different situation in a lot of different ways. One of the biggest ways is the fact that Tim Kelly has been with Bill O'Brien since 2012. This isn't this isn't some guy that has just been around for a couple of years. He's been on with Bill O'Brien and the staff since 2012, and he's steadily moved up each 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 year. There's been a change for Tim Kelly, and I think that that's a sign of. He's really just been groomed by Bill O'Brien, and now he's going to have the opportunity to show the NFL what he has as far as play calling. Yeah, this is – Bill O'Brien's been setting up Tim Kelly for, I guess, like a head coaching job. The He made a comment to somebody last year about he can't give Tim Kelly play calling just yet because he's trying to keep him in the building. I think it also speaks a lot to words whenever um, he got the OC nod over Sean Ryan was yep. our last season. Sean Ryan, who Sean ran, Ryan. ran away to the uh, Titans, correct? I thought it was Lions. Oh, was it the Lions? Oh, either I way, was, you know, they're all the same. Yeah, it, it, was, was, it was Lions. It was Lions. Uh, okay. now he, now, and now George Gotti's in Carolina as the offensive coordinator for Matt Rule. That's interesting. That is interesting. Uh, so, I will say that. But, yeah, like, people inside the NFL said, like, nothing but extremely positive things about Sean Ryan, that he's, like, an up-and-coming offensive genius. And if someone's going to get a nod above him, I think that should speak volumes. 
Of course, the, the, the Twitterverse will probably just say that he's a Bob Yes man, but... Oh, I mean, it's possible. I mean, this is a guy that he brought up from Penn State. He was a graduate assistant there. He brought him along to the NFL. This is... Mm-hmm. Uh, Tim Kelly himself didn't know if he had the resume to go to the NFL. Like, he took a job down in Elon. If y'all don't know where Elon is, it's an itty-bitty school outside of Raleigh uh, in North Carolina. Like, it's a tiny school. So that's where Tim Kelly thought he was going to go, and Bill O'Brien was able to find a, a place for him on his staff in Houston. But Tim Kelly himself didn't think that he had the resume to go to the NFL. So he's... <laughs> I hope y'all are watching it on video. <laughs> We're getting an extreme close-up here. I know. Those were those were my glasses, just so everybody knows. Um, one thing I think that a lot of people don't talk about, and I mean, this make, this is really big driver in my, I'm a designer in my world of work, is how important consensus actually is in an organization. And I don't think a lot of people actually truly understand how, not that I think Tim Kelly's a yes man, but if he was, Driving consensus is an incredibly powerful thing to unite people behind one vision of something that um, Game of Thrones, what's bigger, five or one type of thing, the, the one army. Um, like if you, it is kind of the Astros method where like the Astros rapidly got rid of every single person who was a dissenter towards their organization and their vision, which allowed them to be incredibly successful around that vision. No, That's one of those things that, I, that came out a couple of weeks ago where they talked about with Houston – or maybe maybe you brought it up. Where did, where am I hearing this from? Houston brought in an advisory committee. They brought in somebody to kind of look at um, that everything was, top top down how the organization was run. Um, that was me. That was pretty nice. I'd like to make a point here is that I might have been inferring it. So like all okay. y'all listening, don't, don't take that as like no maybe. no Cody. It, it's actual. I, I did research. So yeah, they okay. they actually they they brought in an outside consulting firm to do a. Uh, organizational analysis of the organization and where it stands and what they were doing based on other organizations that they've also consulted with. And mm-hmm. in that in that line came, uh, you know, everything that's happening right now. So while, yes, I do believe that Bill O'Brien's um, impression on this organization is big, and I do think that that is – you know, we give Cal, everybody gives Cal a bunch of shit saying, you know, why why aren't we hearing from you? Why aren't we doing this? The reason why you're not is because Cal is not a football guy. He's trusting a football guy to build an organization that he believes could be a winner. And Bill O'Brien is the guy in his mind. So uh, that outside consulting firm did the same thing with uh, with Brian Gaines. They, uh, From what I also read, there was a chance that that was also a part of the Chris Olson aspect. Um and and today we came out that we found out who also replaced Chris Olsen. It was another internal promotion. So while everybody is freaking out saying that this 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 uh, this organization has no understanding or vision where they want to go, it's actually the exact opposite. And you're right, Cody. Like working for massive companies in my lifetime and in my career, the consensus on the vision is the most crucial aspect to a business succeeding. If there are other parts of the business that see another path or vision and they they go down their own path, that's when there starts to be issues. And what we're seeing right now is just phase two, technically, of what the vision is and what they want to do. And while it may not look pretty on the outside because it's not traditional, at the end of the day, we're coming off of a 10-6 and six season in the divisional round against the number one team in the NFL who happened to win the Super Bowl against the number one defense in the NFL, and now we're starting to see what this offseason is going to look like, and I think everybody's getting a sneak peek, and the problem is they just don't like it because it's not traditional, and that's what happens in everything nowadays. Yeah, I mean, I the Astros with the Astros, when they made the cuts to their organization, they pissed off a lot of people in, major, in the majors. Um Granted, we sucked, so nobody noticed. But there was still a lot of bad blood, and there, and we can, when James gets bored of us, me and Cody could probably actually go on a rant about the Astros here in a little bit. Um, uh, I'm not hanging up, so you guys can talk after this <laughs> stuff. I don't know if our fan base wants to hear my three-hour profanity-laced rant when it comes to that situation. But just kind of keeping it in mind, that's part of the reason why that there's a, this belief here in 
around Houston that we're getting the Astros are getting so much shit is because they pissed off so many people with the way that they restructured their organization. Now the Texans are starting to do something very similar. They have determined that um, the Bill O'Brien, Jack Easterby direction is the direction they're going to go, and they're building a ship, and that ship is going to go that one direction, and if you're not on that ship, they're just pushing you off. So it'll, it'll be interesting. I mean, what else? I don't. I really don't know what else to say on that other than what this has now put us in a position of, and my concern is we now have two rookie play callers. So... Tim Kelly has never called plays at any level. I know Bill well, O'Brien. According like, to Bill O'Brien, he's I mean, called, he called all sorts. Of, sometimes, yeah, he said he's called all sorts of plays. He called the entire preseason, and he played. He did call some during the uh, during the regular season, but we just you know here and there. However, his also defense was he had full control of the offense, and then Anthony Weaver on defense also has never called plays at any level of football. <coughs> This kind of scares me just a little bit. Like, I think both of them are very high-potential coaches, and I, I embrace the moves, but I am a little bit afraid of that. I get that. And I think that's where there's a big reaction is that how we are organizing things and kind of the directions we're going at, at an organizational level has risk involved, and it's not safe. And I think a lot of people are reacting to it's not perceived as safe. Um, that being said, when you're talking about the two rookie um, two rookie uh, offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator. Um, one thing that should be mentioned is we're still retain. We still have Bill O'Brien who can be a mentor and advisor. Um, we still have uh, Rack to be a mentor and advisor too. As much as people are, I think someone said something in the chat about Vrabel and um, Rack. I would say that's a totally different situation because we had like 42 injuries. Not that much, but an insane amount of injuries on, in 2000. Actually, I think you're pretty close. I think we ended up 44 players ended up missing time. Yeah, uh, but yeah, like I said, like I think they're totally different situations, and a lot of people looked at the rack, at least the Twitterverse. When I say a lot of people looked at the rack semi-promotion title change, is just uh, a signal that we weren't changing in the right direction. But to me, it's like I don't know how you can have a a, a coordinator with as much experience as Rack has, who is considered to be like one of the most defensive gurus in the league. And not see that as a good thing for our rookie head, co- our rookie defensive coordinator. It's it's well, some experience. I, I think a lot of it has to do with just the fact that the season that we had with Vrabel on defense. I think a lot of that is built into it. Um, but I think one of the things that people tend to overlook, and it's one of the things that John brought up just now, was that there's a lot of potential in in Tim Kelly and Anthony Weaver and. When you have internal promotions, and whether it's you know Google or any other company, potential is a big part of why these people get promoted. And you take the struggles, you take everything that happens early on, because you know eventually the potential will outweigh those negative things that are happening. And even though they're learning pains, there's still things that you know eventually they're going to figure out. And I think with Anthony Weaver specifically, he's been – on the defensive line for so long and he's such a well-respected coach in you know at NRG that I don't think there's much concern with that you know we've heard a lot of things about aggressive defenses and change of personnel and how he's looking at things Bill O'Brien alluded it to it to today um, it looks like it's going to be a different philosophy on the defense so while when that happened with Rabel we didn't hear a lot of those buzzwords that were happening prior to a lot of it was keep it the same Rack's going to help. We're not hearing a lot of that stuff this go-around. And so it's, it's kind of making me think that Weaver will have full control and Rack will be there for bouncing ideas off of. Tim Kelly, on the other hand, I'm not really sure. I don't know what to expect. But I think that, you know, Bill O'Brien is a smart guy. And when it comes to the offenses, while it's inconsistent at times, we'll know who's calling plays and who's not calling plays by the first play on offense every series. Yeah, I mean, the one thing that scares me about Anthony Weaver is over the past 10 years, there has yet to be a first-year defensive coordinator finish in the top 20 of defensive ranking. And we've already got a lot of concerns about that defense just based on personnel. So, you know, rookie defensive coordinator. So I guess we're just kind of having to prepare ourselves for us to have a bad defense next year. Well, well, let's go back to let's go let's go back to some other things in history that have never happened, like a quarterback throwing for under 55 miles per hour during the combine and having any success in the NFL. Right? 
I mean, those those things are all there, right? But the, how much is there actually into it, right? It all depends on the person at the helm. We can say that that has never happened, but each individual is different. So what they do and the infrastructure around them is going to play a part. We're not the Browns. We're not the Giants. We're not the we're not the Bengals. We're you know we're none of these shit teams. We compete year in year out. We've been a defensive minded team. The philosophy has changed a little bit. There's going to be some growing pains, but um, I think to go off and say that that's never happened that we're going to finish over the top you know in in the top you know. 10 of worst defenses in the league, I think, is a stretch, just based on the players that we have in the defense. I think a lot of people forget just how many injuries we had this last season, too, um, on defense specifically. Like, uh, like people talk about our the, the decrease of performance in our linebackers, and we had Dylan Cole go out, and we're putting BMAC into coverage situations that we never actually put BMAC into. Um, so there's a lot that goes into it. You made, a, you made a comment that we might not be the top 20 in defense, but 21 would be an improvement from where we were last year. I think we were ranked 24th or something. 28. Um, <laughs> uh, okay, so that would still be an improvement, um, and that's, I mean, like, we got pretty damn far. The one thing I'd like to comment on and maybe expand on a little bit more for the, the listeners who don't know this is you had mentioned that Weaver might bring a different philosophy, and a lot of people are, a lot of, again, a lot of people being Twitterverse are afraid that Weaver is just going to be a rack yes man after they see all the problems that happened in this last playoff series. And to that, um, Weaver isn't from Rack's tree of coaching. He's actually from Rex Ryan. Um, and Rex Ryan's defenses are characterized by, like, highly, highly aggressive defenses and blitzing schemes, which most of Twitterverse has been asking for, like, the whole last season. Um, so yeah, like I think there's a lot to be excited about. There's a lot of risk involved, and it could go really bad, but there's a lot to be excited about. But I also think with the risk aspect, when you think about this team and what they do, like anytime you want to have success in life, risk is needed. Risk it for the biscuit. In anything. No matter what you do, there's going to need to be some sort, some level of risk for you to be able to be successful. And maybe these risks aren't as big of a risk as – you know, Anthony Weaver does have a resume. Tim Kelly has been groomed by Bill O'Brien. This is the first time that he has actually ever come out and said that another player or another coach is going to be calling plays for the season. That never happened with Godsey. That never happened with Sean Ryan. So there's a reason why he's throwing it out there. One, he knows that he can't do it all himself. He, he knows that now. And he also knows that he's going to be doing a lot of things on the GM side with personnel and stuff like that. So he has to delegate a little bit. And the biggest issue that everybody has had with Bill O'Brien is the fact that he doesn't delegate. That's been my number one complaint since he's been hired, is he tries to take too much. I think he's seeing that his plate is just a little bit full. And whether it's Tim Kelly or Anthony Weaver, I, all I can say is just by week four, don't, don't get ready to jump off the boat yet because it's going to take some time for these guys to get straddled in and make the necessary improvements that need to be made. I mean, you shouldn't jump off the boat at week four to begin with. But. Oh, they do. There was a couple oh. of years back where we were off the boat after week three. So, Yeah, yeah. that was the Giants game. I'll never forget <laughs> that episode. Yeah, the kill shot, Bill O'Brien. Yeah, that was great. All right, yeah. so the next thing up um, that Bill kind of talked about was he wants to keep his players. Um, he believes that you build it. Your team gets stronger by keeping it together. Um, it's kind of in line about what we've we've talked about at length. That in the NFL, more so than any other sport, continuity is huge. Was that a statement or? Yeah, 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 yeah. That was just that was a statement. I was hoping somebody else would kind of. Oh, okay. Yeah. No, I think, bring up I, think from it. I, I think we've seen a lot. I mean, we know this, right? We know this to be the case. This is how you're successful in the NFL. It's about the second contract that players receive uh, that, that tell the story of how you're drafting and the personnel added to the team. I think, uh, you know, I think a lot of people are reading into that, that that means DJ Reader will be back. I still wouldn't put a lot of weight into that. And a lot of that just has to do with the fact that I think this draft is a good draft for you to be able to grab another defensive tackle that could potentially make an impact early on. Uh, I think Brandon Dunn's contract did play a part in also us letting, letting us know in a little inside detail that, uh, DJ Reader will likely not be back. Um, I know people are reporting that there's a chance and that they're working. I'm sure they're working on a deal, but they have a number in their mind, and it sounds like DJ Reader has another number in their mind, and he's going to end up testing the market. But outside of that, 
what other players that are ours outside of Laramie Tunsil and Deshaun Watson, and are they looking to extend this offseason? I mean, they could do Zach. Kimi. Kimi. Who? Uh, Kimi? Our pineapple boy, our kicker? Kimi Fairbairn? Oh, Kimi. Oh, Kimi's coming back. There, really nothing. No question, but we do need to sign him. I was worried about Dunn. Um, is Cunningham will eventually have to get signed. And we do not, like I'll mention this, like we cannot let Cunningham go. Um, Cole, is Cole up for a contract this year? Cole is up for a contract, and he's going to yeah. need to be resigned. Luckily for us, he's been hurt every single year. Yeah. So there's a good chance that he gets done. I think the Brandon Dunn thing, I don't think people realize – the Brandon Dunn signing and how important it is. This is a guy who was undrafted, who has carved out a role for himself on this defense and has gotten better every single year. There's a lot of talk last season about DJ Reader and how good he was, but there was very little talk about how good Brandon Dunn was last season. And he was asked to do a lot as well when J.J. Watt went down. I, I think Brandon Dunn is, is turning into a, a very, very good piece on this defensive line. And I think because of that, I don't think that they're willing to sign DJ to a $12, $13 million extension because they know that that $13 million could be spent somewhere else that could actually help this team right now. Like Roby. Like Roby. Y'all both like Roby. I love Roby. I love Roby. I I share the same, like, mad sentiment about Roby. So, like, I totally 100% knew where you were coming from. You're like, if you play Madden with him, like, dude's a baller. Dude, he's great. He's great. I mean, look, I honestly encourage all of you guys. If you have a baller on Madden, go watch his tape. Just go watch it. Just see. Just be like, you know what, this guy's really good. I'm going to scout him now. And and, and then also just secondary in general, I'm not very confident in. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Roby, but he's not our own guy, so that's the part that scares me the most about Roby. Um, But the quarterback market, you know, in this this free agency period, you know, I don't know if he's going to get the contract he's looking for, and that's going to play in our favor, in my opinion. Uh, You know, Byron Jones is going to get a pretty hefty contract. There's a couple other corners who – there's some cap casualties that could come up. You know, Patrick Peterson could end up being cut just because of the amount of money he's owed, um, and they're kind of in rebuild. So, I mean, outside of Cunningham, Cole, Kaimi, those are really the only three that I see us having a chance on keeping. Next okay. topic, John. Next topic. Um, well, let's see. We learned a little bit more about the structure. I, I believe we learned a little bit more of the structure of how – the Texans are putting everything together. Um, we all kind of knew that it was Bill O'Brien and Jack Easterby. They were kind of, they're kind of intertwined. Um, Bill O'Brien is as much the face of anything. But it was just, it was interesting when they talked about letting go of Chris Olsen. Bill O'Brien was that that was not my call. So that to me um, says oh, that it was Easterby's call. That Easterby is probably more in charge of the organization and. Bill O'Brien's actually in charge of player personnel. Yeah, I think – I thought he said just as much. I think he's like, uh, I'm involved in scouting and personnel, and that's all he – and that was like, those are my responsibilities. Well, yeah, he said he coaching, said and, and, coaching and scouting. Coaching and scouting, I, okay, yeah. I think with, with uh, Chris Olson, um, there, there's two parts of that that, um, that kind of hit me and made me think. So one is – uh, if he says it was not his doing, it was not his doing. Usually if he, there's something, if he's asked a direct question like that, he beats around the bush when he's lying. He didn't beat around the bush this time. Uh, so he came out pretty strongly and said that that was not me. The only issue I have now in the second part of this is the fact that is there in, are we already having alignment issues with Jack Easterby because he was very adamant when he said that, that that was not me. That made me start to think, shit, really, already? Um, <laughs> no, I have the exact same thought. When uh, Bill O'Brien actually avoids throwing people under the bus to an extent. Um, of course, he did it with the uh, the challenge. He's like, that's not my job, um, most famously. But other than that, he's actually he's pretty good about it. And then it, that was essentially a that's not my job comment all over again in, re- in regards to Chris Olsen. 
Yeah, and that's, that's kind of the point for me that, that kind of really bothered me the most is just the fact that he was just so adamant about it that, that it was just kind of like, eh. But, you know, at the same time, I do know that, you know, with, with Bill's relationship with Jack, they're, they're not going to agree all the time, and there's going to be some things that they, they, they hash out, and this is the beginning of them basically running the organization. Um, so these, are, these types of things are going to happen. I get why he would want to keep Chris Olsen there. They're basically rookies in doing all of the front office stuff. So having a veteran that has handled contracts and things like that with a CEA coming up and all the changes potentially happening, I think you know Bill O'Brien was probably looking at it like this is a guy we could have leaned on. Jack Easterby's like, we need we need new blood. We need to find new ways to do things, and it kind of is what it is. Yeah. Um, just to answer a confused uh, reader, they fired Olson, not for Easterby. Easterby fired Olson. By the way, chat. Sorry. Yeah, and it was uh, it's actually the guy that took over for Olson, uh, Kevin. A lot of consonants. Craig go. Craig, I, you, you don't even. I'm sorry, man. I can't get his Kevin. name. Kevin. Kevin. Kevin was uh, Olson's right hand man, so he probably has the exact same philosophy as Chris Olson. Again, the only thing that we can kind of figure it goes back to alignment where. Bill O'Brien wants to keep his people. Uh, Chris Olson has been a part of us losing free agents every single year, um, even all the way back to, um, you know, Kubiak. So maybe that's part of it, but I'm not sure. And I think we lost James again. So since James is gone, we turn to an Astros show now? <laughs> I'm down for James is gone, Astros. Hashtag fuck the Lakers. Sorry, what? James is back. <laughs> um, I don't like you guys. I don't, I don't, so like, what this, I don't the, like this dynamic. You know? Uh, the one thing that I, I don't know if it was actually during his briefing or if it was just during the radio show, um, something to look at at the combine. Bill O'Brien talked about how they look for unusual stat, or unusual um, performers or what was it? He looks for things that are out of the ordinary, um, like the three-cone drill. He talked about how Julian Edelman had the fastest three-cone time, and then he actually said a good thing about Kiki Kuti. With having and, a what, what, and what was the good thing? That he had, Sorry, the, fastest, <laughs> he had, a fa- he had the fastest three-cone time that year. Um, so obviously Bill O'Brien likes the three-cone time. So when we're trying to figure out which uh, receiver we're going to end up drafting, they watch the three-count time, apparently. Yeah, I mean, I, look, this is the year that Kiki has to really get his shit together. Um, you know, we're big proponents of Kiki on the show. We know the impact he has on the offense when he's on the field. But this can't – we can't have another season like we had last year. And while, yes, the Bill O'Brien doghouse is a real thing, it's also something that you can get out of. And the way to get out of that is by perfecting your craft and taking practice serious and fixing the mistakes that he sees that you make. And I, I, I expect Kiki to be able to make that, that jump and, and return to what we thought was possible with him. Um, he's going to need to, especially with Kenny, uh, basically this being Kenny's last season on his contract. Um, if Kiki can put it together, it'll be a nice addition moving into the 2021 offseason. That's Sorry. No, definitely. I mean, we've all seen what Kiki can do. He can be a target hog once hopefully he gets his act together. Obviously, Bill O'Brien still – this sounds sappy. Bill O'Brien still thinks about him. He's bringing him up at the combine. So he hasn't been completely kicked out of the house. But, you know, it's on Kiki. Apparently, from reports, we are looking for his replacement, though. Always. Uh, me being, yeah, I mean, me being a giant Longhorns fan, I really want us to draft uh, Duvernay. Um, but we talked to Duvernay, and was it Mills, I think is his name? Mims? I thought it was Mims. Mims. Yeah, I don't follow college football as much no. as Perfect. Yeah, but. Duvernay I think would actually be perfect. He's um, stylistically, you know, he's like uh, Devo Samuel, who I was huge on last year. Granted, we're in Texas here, so I, I think it's almost – you almost flip it. I can say Duvernay is um, – Devo Samuel was in the style of uh, Duvernay. He's just Duvernay is just not quite as fast shuttle, but he's uh, shuttle speed. But he's faster straight line than Devo. 
but they're both um, they're both built like running backs. I think Duvernay actually was a running back at one point, and so they're yak monsters, or that's what you would hope them to be in the NFL is yak monsters. So that's why I like the idea of that type of player with the Bill O'Brien offense. Um, I think Kiki is closer to Fuller, but from the slot. So he he was the um, I, I want to say he was the number one deep threat from the slot position coming in out of the out of the draft that year. Whereas I think we don't need somebody that's a deep threat out of the slot. Granted, that seems to be what the Texans are looking for is to attack the attack downfield. I think we actually just need another short passing option, whether or not it's the tight ends, whether or not it's the slot receiver, or you know Duke, because only good things happen when you throw it to Duke. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a, there's a couple things there. One, um, I can't let you go by saying that Kiki is basically Will Fuller in the slot, as their skill sets are two completely different No, 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 no. Closer, closer to uh, description. Not that he is, but it's both that they're more they're both better suited for attacking deep than the short passing, the underground or short underneath passes and looking for yak. I, I would disagree, but that's that's fine. Um, and then I think as far as like looking at the wide receivers that, that are potentially in the draft, if we take a wide receiver within this second or third round, I'm going to throw a freaking temper tantrum because the last thing this team needs right now is another wide receiver. They need to start rebuilding this um, this defensive front. They need to start attacking the safety position as we don't know how much more Gibby has. Uh, J. Joe's going to likely be gone. We need to find more secondary players. There's just too many too many holes on the defensive side for us to use a top and second or third round pick on a wide receiver. I get that shiny toys are fun on the offense, but you have every single thing you need on the offense to be successful and play at a high level. And if we're going to go after a wide receiver, I, I'm literally going to throw up in my fucking mouth. No, I'm in complete agreement. If I was doing the draft, I would draft only defensive players this year. Our defense, I, I wouldn't draft an offensive line, anything offensive, nothing, nothing. I, I agree 100%. The, uh, the defense needs an influx of talent, um, both from, yeah, defense as a whole, defensive line, linebackers, secondary. Every level of the defense could use another, at least one more player. There is yep. absolutely no reason to go after anybody on offense when they're looking for the only thing on offense that we're truly missing is a is a slot receiver, and Kiki can do it if he has his head on straight. Yeah, or at least a full camp. I think I think the one thing that uh, in the slot position to kind of talk a little bit about like what you were referring to as a deep. A deep slot wide receiver is the fact that with a lot of the with a lot of like the the routes that are outside wide receivers run, um, whether it be like a corner um, opposite side of the field slant that'll free up a, a deep uh, vertical nine route by the slot receiver. Those are the types of plays that Bill O'Brien likes to have in his offense, and having a, a somewhat of a bigger wide receiver that can be able to go up and get that ball because Kiki's just not going to be able to. That, that's key, but at the end of the day, you also do have Kenny Stills, and right now there's no reason for us to like really be worried about that. Plus, you do have Duke Johnson and so many other. You could put Aikens at that spot. Um, there's so many options that there should be no reason why we're we're doing that. I don't honestly think that we're. I, I don't think we're looking at these wide receivers as um, replacements. I think that we're just taking as many visits as we can because that's what we do every year. Now, I think that it may actually be something that you had brought up earlier, though. Bill O'Brien is. First and foremost, offensive-minded. Yeah. But now that he has full control over the player player personnel, he's going to look at offensive players first. Hopefully, he um, you know he doesn't get too addicted to the offense. But fingers crossed, because yeah, it's it it really should be all defense. And maybe all right, what else did you talk about? I believe that's everything. Yeah, you, know, you kind of talk about the running backs a little bit. But, oh, he um, talks about the different types of running backs out there, but yeah, yeah, that's really about it. I mean, it, it was a very, it was a very good, po- it was a very good podcast. <laughs> I wish yes. it was a podcast. I w- wish I could get that podcast every day. You know, um, <laughs> but he was also on um, on 
Texans or all all access or whatever from six to seven. I haven't had a chance to listen to that that yet, but I will. Um, but yeah, are, are you guys going to be getting into free agency tonight? No, today was more just quick, get something out, and we're already up to forty five minutes. So we may take ten fifteen minutes because Cody's on. Let Cody talk about whatever he wants to talk about. Um, just no Astros. Oh, or we, dude, we've got it. We, we're going to talk about the Astros. <laughs> you can head out, but we're definitely going to talk about the Astros. I'm going to hang up and not and not listen. I think I'm literally the only one who talks about baseball in this word and basketball. Please, please don't bore. Please don't bore our listeners with Astros stuff. You know, they've heard that's all they're hearing on 610, 790. That is literally all they're hearing about right now. The last thing they want to hear about is the Astros. We can at least reassure them it will all be okay. It will be okay. There's no reason for it not to be. They have a stout team. They have they're they're good at every position. They're only going to get better. Like this is and they they have a chip on their shoulder that they're going to fuck this entire league up this year. If you guys that are Astros fans can't see that, that's a fucking problem. This team is going to come out and rape every single team that they can, and there will be no DNA kit used. This is going to be the nastiest baseball season in Houston Texans fucking history. And I don't understand why everybody is up in arms about it. So there's your Astros talk, because there's no reason to talk about anything else. This team is so fucking good that I don't care that we lost Garrett Cole. I don't care that we lost whoever the fuck else we lost, Marisnik and blah, blah, blah. It doesn't matter. This team drafts well. They fill holes well, and they have the fucking infrastructure to be able to handle this, even though the two that got us the World Series are gone. Uh, one one point I'd also like to make is just how – I mean, like, they always talk about – sorry, uh, I, Mr. Uh, – the one thing I have to say is, Mr. I'm not going to talk about Astros. I'm going <laughs> to sign off. We have a five-minute try about the Astros. Um, but – I think there's so much just, like, there's romance in baseball, which is why I love it. And I'll try and not talk too much about baseball because this can literally be a three-hour argument for me. But there's romance in baseball, and baseball gets romance. But with that, it gets, like, put on this pillar that it's untouchable. And what people have been cheating in baseball since the first pitch was thrown. Like, like people have to understand how much cheating is involved with baseball. Um, there was the Bill Burr comment where he was proud of the Astros for actually bringing a gun to a gunfight when it comes down to the salary cap. The main point I want to make is, like, people are pissed at the Astros. And, like, it's been now months of news cycles being pissed. And I just want to compare what the Astros did to some other organizations. The Astros stole signs in a, quest, like, illegal but questionably legal gray area in 2017. This is part of a three-hour debate. We have teams like the New Orleans Saints who just got done covering up a child sex scandal that no one gives a shit about. We have teams like the Redskins who almost pimped out their cheerleaders and no one gives a shit about. We have European soccer leagues who are literally trapped in, like, doing human trafficking that no one gives a shit about. Why do people care? Because the New York, because New York media and LA media, and I'm done now. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> I would just like to point out that here's the thing that people are, are kind of – I mean, you even kind of missed it. It's You're comparing wrongs to wrongs. Cheating yeah. is a part of baseball. I mean, that's why there's been corked bats. That's why there's spitballs. That's why they talk about at length. There's a guy on Twitter that I can't think of his name right now that has this mile-long thread of all the sign-stealing allegations. That's why, no joke, in 2018 there was an article. The first thing they talked about was the Dodgers having a room dedicated to stealing signs. Joe Girardi, there's the video of him out there talking about how they did it when he was on Major League League Network before he got back into management, like during his whole, like, what, two-month break? I mean, it's baseball, you cheat. That's just baseball. It's the whole thing. John, 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 it's sports. They all cheat. Yeah. You try to get advantage. That's just the way it is. That You look for any advantage that you can get at any given time that's going to help you win. It's That's the way it works. There's nothing about it. There's a reason why the Patriots try to cheat as often as they can. It's because it helps them win. And the only reason it's a big story is because the Astros got caught doing it in a year where they won the World Series. If they would not have won the World Series – 
it would have been another team that would have taken this loss. Well, I would argue but the reason I would argue the reason that it's a big deal right now is because we hit a walk off home run against the Yankees, and the Yankees have the most media, they have the biggest fan base, and they are just looking for something to tear another team down. The worst fan base. They have the worst fan base. Absolutely. I don't know. Rocket fans are pretty bad, but yeah, I mean, I would agree. All like you know, the city of Houston, which that's it with Rockets fans. Yankees fans are like everywhere. They're like the fucking plague. Like, yeah, I swear to you God, you have you probably one of your neighbors is a is a Yankees fan that only watches when they're in the playoffs or whatnot. Yeah, but then you have Rocket fans who are like, oh, we didn't win the we didn't win this series because we went up against the best team in NBA history. We had they had four All Stars and blah blah blah. It's just. But yeah, I would agree. The Yankees, the Yankees are our one A. I would put Rockets fans one B. But I mean, who am I? But yeah, I mean, I agree. The Yankees are pretty bad. Um, you know, the Do- Dodger fans actually haven't been as bad. You know, we, me and Parker have been out in California all all week. Um, I had a Cincinnati fan uh, call my, you know, say that we're cheaters to my son while wearing an Altuve jersey on the beach. Um, but but outside of that, like Classy. we were walking around. Yeah, he was like, I, I, I walked by and said, it's okay, I'll bang as many trash cans as I can, and then just kept walking. Um, but, um, you know, at Disneyland, I got a bunch of shitty looks. At Knott's Berry Farm, I got a bunch of shitty looks at the beach. But none of them, none of them were assholes about it. And, and, and to be honest with you, they've all been pretty cool. I've had conversations with people while here. Um, you know, their fans are passionate, right? But they also understand that their team blew balls in the, in the World Series and left 27 sc- runners in scoring position and that their, you know, MVP, Cody Bellinger, hit 143 and everything else. So they've actually been pretty cool about it. Um, it's it's more of just the media being able to garner as many clicks as possible. And the reason why we're seeing this still be a story is because when you post things like this with cheat in the title or headline, it's going to get a click. It's going to become a story. And this is going to be that way through the entire season. So fans, Astros fans, just have to understand that you're going to see this. Don't give them any clicks. You know the facts. And, I mean, Garrett Cole came out and basically said, like, okay, for all the people saying we've cheated in 18 and 19, it's actually not true. Like, we didn't do it at all when I was there. You know, you could talk about picking up. Go ahead, Cody. Uh, I just wanted to clarify this because there's a whole Manfred report and whatnot. There are two different types of cheating schemes the Astros employed. One is legal, one is illegal. The legal one was the Codebreaker scheme, which is the Excel document that was essentially just cataloging um, science. That continued on in 2018. That is a system to steal science. It is not illegal. It is not cheating. And then the trash can banging method, which only persisted in 2017. It did not go to 2018. Sorry, that's it. Yeah, I think it, here's the thing. Look, we cheated. We got caught. We it is what it is. We're dealing with the with the punishment of it. We still have a World Series that we won in 2017, in a time where the city needed it the most. Okay, and I think that's a part that people just tend to overlook the the aspect of what the city of Houston was going through at the time of that World Series run. And I remember vividly watching it with my five year old. I remember talking to John about how he was watching it with Jack. It, it, it was a it was a very crucial time for something like that to happen, and the reason why Astros fans are going to hold on and they're going to fight is because it was needed at the time that we had it. And other fan bases are just going to have to understand that this is bigger than sports. This is there are times in sports history where things are bigger than sports, and this is one of those times. And it's not something that people are going to get over. It's not something that people are going to ever stop bringing up. But at the end of the day, that title is ours. It's at Minute Maid Field. It's going to stay there for the history of the of the franchise, and they're going to add another one this year. And when they do, everybody can just shut up, and that's just the way it works. So let's move on to the Rockets. Oh, wait, there's nothing to say. All right, let's talk about Small what else ball. we Small ball. Small ball. Can I just make one? I'd like to expand on something. Um, you were talking about what the world – before we move into the Rockets, by the way, also Rockets' best fans. Um, what the Astros' World Series meant – from an anecdotal experience to me. Like, I remember being on the phone with my parents for game six and giving them, like, play-by-play, pitch-by-pitch stuff that was going on while they were on the roof of their two-story home waiting to be evacuated from their neighborhood because they couldn't leave. And the water was literally going up to their roof. Like, 
I don't think people realize that that is our experience with this World Series. That whenever the the World Series parade happened, we had the the parade. There's like what two, three million people at the parade. Maybe half of them had a home at the time. Like that World Series truly mean like brought the city together. Like it, in, a, in an unspeakably be, be beautiful way, that World Series brought us together. And to just have people like shit on it and shit on the fans, especially for supporting the team that they just grew up around, is just bad. Yeah, anyway. well, it's kind of well, it's, it's the same the, as the Saints. It's the same as the Saints when Katrina happened, right? Like that 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 Super Bowl was needed. That that was needed in a city that was in a crisis that was dealing with everything. Families dismembered, not around. Dismembered, dying. <laughs> I mean, he may be technically right. So that yeah, Katrina yeah. was bad. But, but Katrina was awful. And like, and and what it did to the city was it united them at the end. And, you know, this, it's very similar to the Astros. One quick story about Disneyland. We were at Disneyland, and there's a show, for anybody that's ever gone, it's called Fantasmic, and it's the best show you could ever see in the world at Disneyland. There's nothing better. It's just incredible. But you have to have fast passes to be able to have reserved seating. Well, me and Parker couldn't get any because we wanted to ride all the rides. And so we stood behind the reserved seating, and an Astros fan from San Diego saw my hat and saw Parker and was like, snuck us in and let us just stand right there with him while I had Parker on my shoulders. And we just talked about how he drove to Game 7 from San Diego. It was the greatest day of his life. Um, and he was just so excited about feeling it. And he was probably a 52-year-old man saying that that was the best day in sports history for him. Those types of moments and memories are things that people will forever remember. And while, yes, the you know media is going to shit on us and do everything they can, at the end of the day, those memories and moments that these fans felt will never, ever be taken away. And that's a part that we love about sports. That's what makes sports so amazing is that we can feel these types of feelings and it kind of is what it is. Yeah. No, an agreement. All right. Well, Cody, what else do you want to talk about, dude? Well, I do want to actually talk about the Rockets. If we're going to talk what about What is there to talk about? Um, that your team got demolished by us and we had several players out and that y'all are just sitting on a first seed and not the best team in the West and just the, y'all better get ready for that first round exit. It's going to be really unfortunate for you guys. Oh, you paid so much money for LeBron and AD and you're just going to have a first round exit? That sucks, don't you know? I know I know you're not talking about money considering what you did with Russell Westbrook and James Harden, but let's also talk about the fact that you, when you guys don't hit, which we've seen multiple times in every series in the, final, in the Western conference finals and other series where you guys have been bounced you guys aren't hitting threes which is normal in a series because james harden isn't clutch then we'll have the same exact situation that we've had for you know every year where you guys will say well this isn't fair either we ran into anthony davis and lebron james so that I mean, you guys can talk all you want I'll, I'll get you a regular season trophy for the regular season win in the lakers because it'll be the only hardware you guys will ever have in houston as far as the nba um, I'll get you a Letterman's jacket because Houston's big on that. Uh, no, those don't count. And then, um, uh, yeah, so that's fine. Oh, my God. That's, by the way, I hate that narrative that, like, all of Houston's championships don't count. Oh, the Rockets only won because Michael Jordan retired, and then we won the next one the next year when he was back. So who gives a fucking shit? Um, I don't think that when I know I'm dealing with a, a red rowdy. I actually believe that they believe the, the, uh, deserve those championships and they were great teams. But when I deal with people like you, I like to bring up the whole Michael Jordan didn't play thing because it works really well. And it gets finger wagging happening on YouTube, which is great. Finger wagging is always the best. Same <laughs> um, thing from you, sir. I thought you're mostly just trying to piss me off. I don't uh, know if there will still be a podcast that the uh, the Rockets and the Lakers meet in the playoffs this year. Oh, there will be, because I'll be celebrating a four-game sweep, but that's fine. Go ahead. Oof. Um, the narrative that James Harden is not clutch is completely false. Like his, okay. He has one game where he was not like, clutch in the 27... the game Chris Paul went down? Yeah, that's the, well, he was already oh, down. Oh, yeah, yeah. When he was needed the most. Yeah, yeah, no, go ahead. I mean, he's an all-nothing man with hamstring issues. No, yeah, he was, needed, he was needed the most. What was his name? James Harden. He was the star player on the team. Needed to step up and be able to deliver. No, I get it. I get it. Not clutch, though. So tell me, tell me more. 
He also got, like, if we're going to talk about the 27 missed free throws, we should talk about sure. the ones that were taken away from the refs because he was apparently not in the act whenever he was shooting it and the ball was in the middle of going through the net. But let's talk James Harden has better. The, let's talk about the James Harden has better playoffs. James Harden has better playoff stats than the regular season. Let's just go with that, by the way. Okay. Like, if you want to just go look at his stats, like he has a higher shooting percentage, more efficiency, yada yada yada, maybe less. But overall, he just has a greater efficiency and higher shooting percentage. We are right now shooting at about a fifty-one percent from threes, and we have multiple shooters who can shoot threes besides James Harden. Oh, and we have Russell. I'm fucking not gonna lie, left. that actually kind of terrifies me. Fifty-one percent. Yeah, right. Yeah, it should. Like, it definitely <laughs> should. It definitely <laughs> should. But go ahead, buddy. Well, I, I want to keep hearing that. that. I hate agreeing with James, but that scares the shit. <laughs> shoot 51% to win games. We just need to shoot league average of 36-ish percent, and we will win our games. But we also have now multiple shooters who can shoot threes. All of our people besides Westbrook can basically shoot threes. And we have Russell fucking Westbrook, who dominated AD earlier. Dominated AD. Dominated AD. Anyway, uh, I look forward to the playoffs, man. It's going to be fun. Yeah. I can't wait to talk. Here, here's, the, here's the best part about all of this, is, and, and I'm not a Rockets fan, but I watch a lot of games. The fact that the number one Rockets fan I know didn't bring up how great you guys are playing on defense with the small ball tells me how much of the game you actually watch, and that's what makes oh, me most scared. Oh, you platform to talk about it. I'll talk about it. We're going to talk about scary. Robert We're talk about Robert Covington leading uh, block shots right now with, what, three blocks? For, like, he is averaging three block shots or something game, two and 2.8, something around there. Uh, literally has number one block shots in the games right now. Yeah, yeah. He had uh, 15 over three games. I mean, Correct. The, and it's the perimeter defense to me that when I watch the Rockets, and I'm, I'm on record, I've tweeted it out, this team is very fun to watch. I think we they have a... They are doing a lot of different things that, you know, this is the part that people, and, and, and part of it is a Houston narrative thing, sure, I guess you guys like to do that, where you say the media doesn't respect you. I don't buy into that. I, I buy into the fact that they don't respect Houston because they don't ever do anything. That narrative changed with the Astros. It hasn't changed with the other two teams for a reason. But I will say this. This team is fun, and they are, what they're doing is extremely fun to watch. They're hustling. D'Antoni's making uh, adjustments, which he has not done in previous years. It looks like he's actually coaching in the way that he should be coaching. And I think this team is really good. If, I, if they bounce the Lakers in the playoffs, I wouldn't be surprised. Because what the way that they play basketball is a matchup nightmare for the way that we play. But at the end of the day, I'm always going to ride with the Lakers because that's my team. And then also, I believe LeBron James is just a better player than anybody you guys have. And I also think Anthony Davis is a better player than anybody you guys have. So at the end of the end, I also think just the fact that because of a, we're in matchup nightmare on that front, you guys didn't see a lot of what we were doing. We, we're, we're not adding pieces. We're just building on the chemistry we have. We are the number one seed for a reason. It's because we are a good team, whether you want to point it out or not. We are an extremely good team. Kyle Kuzma... Kyle Kuzma is not getting a lot of uh, minutes, uh, but he started to at the latter part of the season or right before the All-Star break. He's going to continue to groove. The way that we played against Boston was awesome. Um, I, I just think that, you know, Avery's starting to hit. There's just a lot of moving pieces to this Lakers team that people aren't realizing. Alex Cruz is starting to get more minutes. So this team has a lot more potential than people realize. They're just looking at Anthony Davis and LeBron James and expecting those two to carry the team, and that's just not the way that this team is built. This team is going to be built on heavy, heavy defense and the ability to mix up and add matchup nightmares everywhere that they can. Dwight Howard, JaVale McGee, now that we just added Markeith Morris, Kyle Kuzma, Avery Daniels, Alex Crusoe, there's just a lot there that people want to dismiss, and it's because they're not familiar with how this team plays basketball. They only get to watch it when their team plays the Lakers. That's true. I, I mean, I'll give you all that. The Lakers are a good team. They're a first seed for a reason. Um, I do just like the shit on the Lakers because I just don't like them. Nobody um, likes the winner. That's true. I'll have, I have one question for you and more of a statement after that about basketball. Uh, the question is, how is AD, you know, a multimillionaire in the most vision image conscious city in the world not shave that mono brow off yet? Like, I just don't get it. It's it's an impressive mono brow. And at this point, it just seems like he's just too stubborn to do it. But anyway, 
That's well, more. One, I thought you were going to ask me a Kobe question and bring up the Kobe James Harden thing, and I was going to have to hang up. Two, um, I'm not bringing up Kobe here too soon. Okay, okay, thank you. Um, two, I think that you know. He's just embraced that his entire career, and I just don't see it ever going away. I think it's something that, like, it's like if you do shave it, you get you're going to get murdered for it. And if you if you don't shave if you don't shave it, they're going to just get, like there. What else can you say about it at this point, right? Like, it's like making fun of somebody that has a huge mole on their face. Like, it's funny, it's funny, it's funny, and then after a while, it's just like, uh, yeah, all right, buddy, we get it. There's another another mole joke. That's cool, dude. Moly, 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 moly. I, I get it. Uh, so, um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I'm excited about the NBA. Uh, I, I really am. I, I think it's going to be very interesting. I'm glad Golden State's not there. Um, I do. I, I mean, you guys shit on me all you want about the Rockets. They're my second team. They're the team I've watched more than most. They were my first ever live basketball game at the Compact Center watching Akeem Olajuwon and, and Clyde Drexler. I've been there. I know about this team a lot. I know about the history. Robert Horry is one of my favorite NBA players of all time. Um, and Tracy McGrady obviously is up there as well. So I know this Rockets team, and I know them really well. But if it ever comes down to it, I will forever and ever be a Lakers fan, and that's because I've already given up everything else in California. This is all I have left because of John. So I'm not going to give up on my Lakers. I understand it. I mean, like the team you like, man. I'm, but I'm still going to give you shit about it because it makes me happy. No, I and mean, I'm two years ago when the, when the Lakers were really bad, I mean, James pretty much watched every Rockets game with me. Um, but the Lakers came back because, you know, they're the Lakers and they can go buy a star. Well, and another part of this is that, you know, people just don't realize, like, this team, it, it's really special right now. Like, the, the, the part about, like, I understand that it sucks about the tragedy and everything that happened, but this is the first time that LeBron has really embraced being a Laker. And for for non-Laker fans to understand what that means and and what that part of the business is for the Laker fans and Laker Nation – um, that's what made Kobe what Kobe was is he embraced the city and he embraced being a Laker and now LeBron's starting to understand what that means because he's never had to do that and uh, we're seeing it in the play and we're seeing it in the exact same way that he is on the court and um, I just think there's just so much extra motivation for this team to unfortunately I don't see anything being able to knock him off course yeah. uh, he didn't connect at all fucking heat I can tell you that or, what's that Miami. I said LeBron didn't connect at all with Miami so and he didn't, and, and he and he really didn't with Cleveland either. Like yes, he grew up there, and yes, he was from there, but that was more. It felt more like a burden for LeBron. It felt like responsibility. Exactly, and and that's a big difference. But when you have a city that is built on, like everybody talks about Dodgers, they talk about Rams. Now they talk about Chargers. They talk about Angels. None of those fucking teams matter. None of them. In LA, none of those teams matter. It is just the Lakers. That is all that matters. There's a reason why they sell out every fucking game, even when they only win 27. It's because they are the Lakers, and we know that they're going to be good. So LeBron embracing being a Laker, um, it, it, it's just it's a much bigger thing than people realize. And I've hated LeBron his entire career. But now he's your guy, so you have to love him. I understand that. Well, cool. the, only, the last thing I want to say about small ball, and uh, for listeners, I'm sorry that we got on this 15-minute tangent on Texas Texans. We're about uh, 20 season. minutes at this point. Yeah, 20 minutes. It's uh, off season. Even yeah, baby exactly. James and Tony Astros discussion, so we're all good. We're all good. Uh, the one thing I really like, and I don't think a lot of people are really giving credit to the small ball lineup, is just um, – Everyone wants to say it's, the, it's new, uh, small ball's never been done like this before, but as far as the whole strategy, as far as what the Rockets are doing, it's very similar to, like, a Kobe, uh, Jack Lakers, uh, just pushing it inside, kicking it back out whenever the, uh, it's not there, and creating ISOs. Now, ISOs were created with Shaq in the paint, and this time the ISO is just being created at the perimeter by Harden. Like, it's the same thing. Get a two-on-one, drive it in the middle. If you can't shoot it out, and go for three. It's just got a little bit different window poly- window dressing on it or whatever that phrase is. Uh, I don't know. I, like like you said, it's super fun to watch. Even the people that, like, complain about Harden dribbling 30 times and then shooting and never doing anything, like, that style of Rockets basketball is no longer here, even though I don't agree with that statement. And it's legitimately fun to watch. Like, the hustle is there. It's high energy. It's fun. I like it. Anyway. Well, here's the thing I'll, I'll add to that. I don't know if I like that comparison, but I understand where you're going as far as the ISO. And Shaq made it himself. 
Jack yes. made it himself. <laughs> yes, but at the, at the end of the day, I will say this. This has been done before, and I don't know why basketball people that really study the game have not brought up the Phoenix Suns with Kevin Johnson. Uh, that, that, that team was built very similar to the way that this team is built. And, yes, they had Barkley, but outside of that, this was very similar. And Barkley could pull from 15 to 12 to 15 foot as well. So, um, Also, the rules are more... The rules are more Correct. suited for this style than it was for the uh, the old Suns teams. Correct. Um, but then, you know, so I just want to throw that out there. One thing before we go um, back to the Astros stuff. Look, there's this thing I want fans to understand. I've, I've, I've been hated. My fan base has been hated my entire life, the Lakers. Now, it hasn't been for cheating, but we've been hated our entire lives by people like Cody. That is forever. Embrace it. It is the best part about sports. You know why they hate? It's not because you cheated. It's because they know you're going to still continue to be good, and that bothers them. So as a fan, embrace all of the hate. This this season, I have, I've never been more excited about a baseball season until now. I love that we are getting all of this hate from fan bases, players, all around the country. I'll take all of it. Yeah. It's because to, oh. No, go ahead. I was just going to say, it's weird as a Houston fan that they actually talk about us. Yeah. I think that's one of the biggest culture shocks is that we're actually being talked about and being talked about like a big market, and it's just weird. Um, for my advice to all Astros fans out there, if you get into any petty arguments online, on Reddit, Twitter, whatever, with people who hate Astros, just link into the uh, gist of Verlander raising the commissioner's trophy and just tell them how's mad. How's that? That's all you got to do. All right. With that being said, I am Young Ari Gold, signing off for Texans Unfiltered. We will be back to our traditional layouts and shows next week. We will get into defensive free agents. And we, the week after that, we'll get an offensive free agents. We do have enough time. I think it's three weeks until actual free agency begins. March 17th, if I believe, John. So we have two, we have three weeks, so we have enough time to be able to go over all this. You guys will be hearing a bunch about it now as, as we're getting closer. But with that being said, I'm Young Ari Gold. I'll catch you guys next week. Signing off for Cody and John. We'll talk to you all next week. Loved this episode of Texans Unfiltered? We'd love for you to be a Patreon supporter. Your support allows us to provide you with the best Texans podcast possible. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at HoustonFBPod and everywhere podcasts can be found. And join our community on www.texansunfiltered.com or on Discord at Texans Unfiltered. Thank you for listening. Until next time.